Hey, this is Charlie Romeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Tomahawk Roundup. Here with NBC Sports Chicago Blackhawks insider Charlie Romeliotis. Charlie, how are you today? Frank, what's going on? I know we've been wanting to do this for a while now, so it's it's nice to finally make my Tomahawk Roundup debut. Awesome, Charlie. Glad to have you on. So, you know, growing up in the Chicagoland area, how did you first get involved with sports media? Yeah, so I think I knew what I wanted to do um, from a very young age. Uh, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be good enough to play sports professionally, but I knew that I... I loved um, just hockey and just playing sports in general. And so growing up, I think I, I knew that I wanted to be kind of a, a sports broadcaster, but I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, whether it was going to be a, a play-by-play guy, whether it was going to be uh, you know an analyst or a journalist or whatever. And it kind of just evolved when I got into college. Um, I went to Elmhurst College, which is now Elmhurst University, and basically just started tasting a bunch of different things like got involved with the radio, um, walked in and, and became a sports writer for, for the, um, the leader, which is the newspaper at Elmhurst College, and then started, you know, doing some internships as well. I just started tasting a bunch of different options and then, you know, just decided that I like wearing a lot of different hats and, and kind of just grew uh, from within then. And then that internship kind of led to NBC Sports Chicago. Yeah, that internship, obviously, you know, talking about Elmhurst College, I, you answered it a little bit already, Charlie, but how did it help kind of diversify your portfolio when it comes to journalism? Yeah, it was huge. Um, and I just going to, to Elmhurst College specifically, uh, I know it's not like it's not necessarily it's not exactly Northwestern, you know, where a lot of people go to get their journalism degrees. But it really did benefit me specifically because I was able, it's not known for like a sports broadcasting school. So I was able to kind of just walk in and be like, hey, I want to write for the school newspaper. And they're like, done, you, you're our sports writer, right? Like I, I didn't really have to do yeah. much. So it was cool because I, I was able to do that as well with the, the radio. Like I wanted my own sports radio show. Like I, I walked in there as a freshman and I was like, can I have my own sports radio show? And they're like, done, which slot do you want? Like it was just that easy. So it was nice, even though... You know, I kind of joke around, like really my, my family were, were the only ones that listened, my mom and my dad, um, when I was in college. But just getting those reps, it felt like to me like the world was listening. But mm-hmm. it just, like to me, it was just getting those reps were so crucial. And in a way, it was kind of beneficial, too, because like if I failed it during those radio shows, like if I stumbled or if I didn't like. I knew that nobody was listening, but in my mind, a lot of people were listening. So it was cool that I was able to fail in front of an audience that really wasn't listening. Um, so it just allowed me to kind of grow and get those reps uh, at a lower level. Right. And when you're talking about those reps, I had the same experience. You know, my freshman year, like senior, junior year, high school, it's like, okay, not a lot of people are going to listen to this freshman in college or senior in high school on the air. So it feels important to you, but you have, you know, your audience and you know, okay, you make the mistakes on the smaller stages so you don't mess up big time. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and it really, I really benefited from it. I, I actually remember like one time I, I was doing a radio show and I, like I really, I really fumbled something. Like I think I like had like a bad, I think I had like a bad, um, it was like a sore throat or something. And like, I just like, I couldn't catch my voice. And like, I, it was really frustrating. And I kind of had to like go to a like, commercial break, like really quick because like I, I like, I it got to a point where like I couldn't talk. 
and like i remember being like so mad at myself just be like man like if i did this like on a grander scale like they would like you know it'd be such a big deal but it was nice knowing like i could do that at a, at a lower level and not face the repercussions right like i was just able mm-hmm. to fail there uh, but you know in my mind like i had you know i had like like let myself down or something so it was nice to kind of learn from those experiences at a lower level where not a lot of people were listening but in my mind a lot of people were listening right you know and that treating it that way <laughs> yeah you, you you have to treat it as if everybody's listening so when everybody does listen you're up to par right exactly yeah so you know you've done it all at nbc sports chicago from producer to writer to insider how do you balance all of those hats as you put it in the beginning yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think you know it, it was nice starting at the lower level. Um, I know a lot of people, maybe nowadays, like once you kind of get to the position that you're you're trying to like covet, like as a at a young age. Um, I liked that the fact that I started from the ground up, like I started as an intern and then kind of worked my way up the company because now I know basically what everyone else does within the company. So like now I know when I'm at a Blackhawks game. And I'm filing a late story or whatever. Like, I was on the other end of the, that story, right? Like, Tracy Myers, Tracy Myers, she's like the original Blackhawks insider. So I learned a lot from her. And I would be sitting at the desk kind of retrieving her stories and, like, posting her stories online. So it's funny that it's kind of come full circle where now I'm on the other end of it. And so when I'm filing my stories, I know there's someone on the other end of that desk that's waiting up late for my story. So sometimes I'll just, I'll just be like, Hey, clock out. Like I'll, I'll post my story because I know it's it's a late night or whatever. So I think there's just a grander appreciation of wearing a lot of those different hats. And then as far as like once you get to this level of like having to do television and having to do podcasts and writing, I think I actually enjoy it a lot because it kind of keeps me on my toes, right? Like it, there's like a different routine um, every day. It's not just the same. And sometimes I'll be, you know, they'll have me in a studio and I'll do TV work and then other days I got to do a podcast and, and, and I actually really enjoy it like it, it really does keep me on my toes so I think um, I, I I don't want to say I thrive in that setting but I enjoy that more than kind of being uh, it's in the same routine um, so I really did like the, the, the kind of breakup of it where I, I'm wearing a bunch of different hats and it does kind of just spruce up some of my scheduling uh, moving forward yeah, you know, are there any new exciting projects coming up, whether that be with you or someone else at NBC Sports Chicago, that our listeners might be interested in? Um, I don't have any. Um, I know it's it's right now we're just kind of getting to the finish line of the season, so there's not really a ton um, on the docket. I think it's, there's going to be a lot more bigger picture items that we're going to be able to tackle going into the summer, like the magnitude of Chicago's rebuild, how long it might take, like what do Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, what are their futures going to look like? So I feel like a lot of those storylines are going to kind of uh, be some off-season type stories that we're really going to have to mm-hmm. dive into. Um, so right, right now it's just getting to the finish line of these next few weeks of the season. Yeah, and that's you've got to start strong, finish strong, basically. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, you know, Although what, the Blackhawks didn't really start off strong with that losing streak. No, 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 not really. <laughs> um, but you know, what has been a player interview that you would say kind of changed you and helped you grow in your career? Was there one specific player interview that you kind of will cherish? Basically, uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't. I can't think of a player interview off the top of my head that really. I know the one interview that uh, I I invested a lot of time um, into. 
uh, it was a few years ago when when Joel Quinville was coming back to Chicago for the first time um, since being fired. So he was coming as a member of the Florida Panthers, mm-hmm. and the the Blackhawks were they were on a road trip. They were in I want to, it was actually Toronto, and Patrick Kane's jersey was being retired in, with the London Knights the night prior. So it was a, oh, it was a Friday night. So I basically I drove to London to cover that Patrick Kane jersey retirement ceremony, and then on the way back, uh, stopped at Detroit because the the Florida Panthers were playing the Detroit Red Wings on that Saturday night, and I basically got a one on one interview before the Joel Quinville return on Sunday, and that was like, I mean, it was such a big deal for me at the time because it was like I had just it was the year that I had. Uh, I think it was the year I, actually I was named the Blackhawks insider. So I was kind of like really those exclusive interviews were like really important to me. And I think I invested like a lot of time and energy into what the interview was going to be like and, and whatever. And so it, I was really proud of the way that turned out and just the, the amount of time and energy I had to put into that. So I would say, I would say that was just probably the, the one interview that sticks out to me. Yeah. You know, I've had those kind of interviews where it's like you've, you finally reached that interview kind of like the mountain if you the the summit and it's like it's not where you're doing an interview to get an interview if that makes sense you're you're doing the interview because this is the interview you've dreamed about and this is the one you cherish yeah no question and even recently like i I sat down with jonathan taves like ahead of his 1000th game and i think that was like a little bit of a pinch me moment too not not necessarily like oh like i can't believe i'm doing this but like the, the feedback i got from a lot of like family and friends like holy cow like you interviewed john of the Taves like one-on-one like it was it was it was cool to see it through their eyes like how cool it was for me to do that and obviously like as a chicago kid um right you know growing up and watching the blackhawks like i i know what it's like to be on the under on the other end of that of like how cool that would be like if you asked me like in high school like Hey, you would be interviewing Jonathan Taves ahead of his 1,000th game in a one-on-one. It's going to air on NBC Sports Chicago in like prime time. Like, I would have, I would have lost it, you know. So that was like a cool moment. But it, it's cool that the other people that you're sharing it with, like some, some of the texts I got after that interview, like that was more rewarding than like me actually doing the interview. It was more like, wow, like people appreciated. Um, that kind of interview and thought it was really cool that I did that. Right, and it's all the the feedback coming after, you know, I, I know I know a similar experience that happened to me when I was up in Minnesota doing a game or two and some of my mentors tuned into the YouTube stream and I I was kinda rushing too much. It was one of my first play by play games and I remember him saying he's like, Hey, chill out, slow down, not everything's the Stanley Cup winning goal. And it, and I wasn't and I was laughing after it because not so much that I was like oh I did a bad job it was more of like oh he actually took the time to tune into the YouTube stream. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, listen, uh, like it kind of goes back to like what I was saying too about the radio. Like even if there's one person listening, like I, I would appreciate that like one person giving me feedback. If like if they took the time to like listen to my radio show or in your case like. Um, you know, a play-by-play, like the fact that they're also giving you constructive criticism on top of the fact that they listen, like I would, I would really like appreciate that, even if it's not something that I want to hear, like maybe it felt like a little demoralizing at the time, like, hey, you should, you know, so, you know, I was, I was guilty of this too. So uh, you and me are probably in the same boat, like, but I would, I would talk and I would ramble and like when I was in college and on those radio shows. So 
the the biggest advice too, and like uh, Pat Boyle taught me this um, when I first like got when I first started doing like more way more TV a few years ago. He was like, just keep it to twenty second thoughts, and I was like, twenty second thoughts, anything. And not necessarily keep it to 20 seconds, but just keep it in your mind to 20 second thoughts. Because if you have more than that, you're you're going to try to take it in so many different directions, and then you're going to find yourself talking, and you're like, it's like a minute and a half later, and like you're still talking, right? So right. just like shortening the thoughts in your head, just short, concise thoughts, and then maybe elaborating on those thoughts over time, and maybe you get into like 30 seconds or 40 seconds, but at least you're just focused still on the same thought. Mm-hmm. And you're talking, it's condensing things because what you think is going to be condensed, you have a little bit of wiggle room at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the Blackhawks, like you said, are in a rebuild right now. Is there someone, whether that's in Rockford or hasn't been signed yet, kind of flying under the radar that is going to have an impact on the ice in the coming years? You know, that that's a good question. I think the one player that I'm really curious about how they're going to turn out, and it is this player's not going to be here for, for several years, but the, the goaltending prospect, Drew, Drew Camesso, like they drafted him in the second round, and they really have not had a succession plan post Corey Crawford. And so, you know, they obviously have Kevin Lincoln, and then they had Colin, they have Colin Delia, and they have Arbert Soderblom in, in Rockford. But like, there's, there hasn't really been that goaltender. They even traded for Anton Forsberg, obviously, a few years ago in the Brandon Saad trade. Um, and so, like, they haven't been able to identify that. And, like, it feels like Drew Camesso, like, really has the potential to be a legitimate starting goaltender at the NHL level. The problem is he's only, I, I want to say, 19 or maybe he just turned 20. So goaltenders, they take a while to develop. So that he probably won't be a full-time NHLer for another, you know, at least three years, right? So I think – but that's the player I'm most curious about because I, I don't really – I can't really identify anyone up front or on the back end right now that I'm really intrigued by other than Lucas Reichel. And that's so important, you know, obviously Lucas Reichel, the the German prospect who's 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 doing a lot of great things, but like you said there's not a lot of flash and pizzazz in the prospect pool right now and it's going to be interesting to see how Drew develops. Yeah, and I I think it's a little concerning too that they don't have the Blackhawks don't have a, a really deep prospect pool. Um, just given the fact that they they've made they've missed the playoffs for the last five years, and you can actually probably make it five straight if you exclude the bubble because they needed you know the expanded playoff and the COVID mm-hmm. shortened uh, to to kind of get in. And so the the fact that they haven't let's just say they haven't made the playoffs in five years and they haven't won a Stanley Cup playoff round since the 2015 Cup final, and they they have one of the the lowest i guess they're they're, they rank towards the bottom and as far as prospects pool like that's that's concerning to me right and and obviously you can look like kirby doc and adam boquist like those players were they graduated to the nhl level a lot quicker so like maybe in a normal year like they would be part of the prospect pool but it's just you know it's it's just concerning and i think that's why the blackhawks are really embarking on this rebuild because they're saying like we we can't we got to replenish the pipeline basically in every single position and so I think Lucas Reichel obviously highlights the forward group, but it'll be interesting to see next season, you know, if the they're going to have a lot of 2023 draft picks. So we'll see what that um, Blackhawks draft class looks like. Yeah, that 2023 draft class, obviously highlighted by Chicago Steel player Adam Fantilli, who is projected to be a top three player. You know, obviously it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, and even Connor Bedard, he, he's the guy that's probably going to Holy smokes, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, 
he's he's probably like not I don't want to say in Connor McDavid territory, but like he's putting up like Connor McDavid like numbers. So that's the kind of guy. And and it's important to know too because like a lot of fans were obviously distraught over the the Brandon Hagel trade. But like I promise you, like guys like Connor McDard are those are the franchise changing players. Like Brandon Hagel, like on a on a Stanley Cup contender, and we're seeing it right now with in Tampa Bay. Like he's playing in, on the third line. Right, he's a very good player, very impactful player. But guys like Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, those are the players that can change the course of your franchise. And I think it would be, you know, if it, for, fortunately the, if the Blackhawks can hang on, um, not not fall into a top two lottery pick this season. Um, I guess that wouldn't necessarily be a, the, the worst thing if you get a top two pick. But that draft class next season is so deep, and so um, the high end of that draft class is really strong. I think those the upper echelon of that draft class can really change the, the, the life of your franchise. Yeah, really changing the life of the franchise on the ice in Connor Bedard's case or off the ice in your case. Charlie, before we head out, anything else you want to add for our listeners around the Chicagoland area? No, I don't have anything other than uh, I, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I look forward to doing this more often. Um, and you, you were, you were a, a, you're very ambitious. You, you really grind out, and I, I think the, your listenership should really appreciate um, all the effort and the time that you put into this and making sure that you land a lot of solid guests. And I'm, I'm very low on that totem pole, but um, I appreciate you having me on and keep up the, the hustle and the great work. Charlie Romiliotis, NBC Sports Chicago. Charlie, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it.